Welcome to the Poke Experience. I'm your host, Kevin Smith. And I'm Jack Cormier. And today we are going to be talking about the best things in Polk County with Dan Chesnica. And he's the producing director of Theater Winter Haven. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you so much. I love that I'm being considered with the best things in Polk County. The best things. Surely I'm talking to anybody else yet. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the first. Our second podcast. Second podcast. Version one. So great. Hey, welcome to the show. And thank you for being here with us today. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about theater, right? Some of the things that... Uh, I'm ready to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Thank you so much for having me. I love coming over here. It's such a beautiful facility. You know, whenever I get a chance to come here and just look out at the grounds, I'm happy. Yeah, well, you know, it's one of those, it's a shame Russ Matt isn't going on or something like that. Right, you right. Get your baseball fix while you're, <laughs> while you're at it. So, yeah. so we talked earlier. Grew up outside uh, in Massachusetts, not really outside of yeah, Boston. Yeah, Westfield, so. Massachusetts okay. is my hometown. Um, and I almost wore my Westfield shirt this morning, but I said I can't. I'm representing Theater Winter Haven, so I changed it up. But uh, yeah, uh, my whole life in Massachusetts until I was 21 years old. Okay. Yeah. UMass Amherst. UMass Amherst. I went there on a springboard diving scholarship, if you can believe that. Three meter or a one meter? I was both. I did both one meter and three meter. Look me up. I still have some of the records there, I think. Okay. All right. So it was a great place to to go to school. We were talking a little bit earlier. You went there for a year. For a year. Yep. Um, So we're we're, uh, partners in that. Yeah. I went there for five. I took the extra year and made, okay, made okay. years up. Um, but, uh, man, I, I, I so much you stayed that fifth year. That's why I used to yeah. tell my parents. I was going to say, most, the fifth and sixth year seniors were not out of the question. So. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I loved it. But, you know, when you're an athlete in college, you guys know, it's hard. That second semester for me, you know, that was... I'd leave on a Wednesday to go to New England competition yep. and I'd be gone until Monday. Then I'd come back for a day and then I would leave for Eastern competition oh, yeah. and I'd be yeah. gone for four more days and then I'd come back and then I'd be back for a day and then I would leave for the Northeast region and then I'd be gone and then I'd be gone for nationals. Yeah. So there would be a six week period where I maybe had three or four days of school. Right. So managing all that, even when you have the additional support that you have for the athlete and all that kind of stuff. You really got to take the yeah. minimum amount of credits that you can get in that semester in order to just get through. And your major was? I was business major. Business major. Yeah. So, so professors, so-so on it? They were, well, you know, at the time, UMass was the sixth best business school in the country. Yep. So they were very, very serious. But- totally understanding you know there's nothing that an athlete can do yeah <laughs> to, yeah you know, i can't I just can't be here yeah. and the school is paying me to um through the scholarships like to, to do job. all this stuff so yeah, it's yeah. like a first and second yeah. job yeah. you know you're working a lot so um the the professors were all great they were all understanding but it's hard it's a, a student athlete's a hard life we had a professor his name was stanley b for baseball levitt and uh <laughs> <laughs> if you're on the ball team you just took his class it was like he's like are you throwing today yeah 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 okay well, that's good for the the baseball players, the basketball players, and the football players. But there wasn't a lot of springboard diving professors. Yeah. <laughs> the D, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is passing. Yeah. 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 That's a 2.0. Yeah, I don't think people understand how hard it is for a student athlete to get through a normal school day. It's hard. Yeah. Hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and I, I, this is great because we're we're getting both segments of what the poke experience is. We usually talk sports, we talk leisure. We're getting them both at damn day. So you know, we're just going to this is an evolving conversation. Yeah. But you know, you're right. I think that people don't appreciate how hard it is for student athletes and the things that they have to go through, and it's going to get harder now. I think uh, for student athletes, especially among all these things that we've got going in the changing world and COVID, all these things where athletes are, yeah. it's going to be a difficult task for them. Yeah, I mean, I just, I always re- remember, you know, time in the bus with, you know, a book open, if you were lucky enough. Um, always, yeah. You know, 
and and yeah, you're trying to knock out something. Right. Like, Somebody else is being stupid. I couldn't even and, sell back my books because it was always on the pool deck. So yeah. it would look like I dragged it through a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't get any money back for books anyway. Yeah, that's like, true. It was like six hundred dollars. Yeah. I'm gonna trade that back in. I'm gonna get at least two hundred dollars. Two dollars and fifty cents. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that book's worth. Yeah. Yeah, it always kill me. You'd pick up the you know the the smallest paperback possible and it would be 15 20 you know 15 dollars and 75 cents used i'd be like are you kidding me i mean this thing is is there's pages ripped out of it there's somebody else has marked it all up you know and they marked the wrong thing and they marked the wrong Jay, things yeah, yeah. It's like well they obviously failed this course i don't think i want to buy this yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my high school and college years were mostly athletics okay but before that I'm trying to get back to the say, theater. So, so where, how did yeah. the theater get into this? Before that, I was early. like a little child actor that uh, did work at well, uh, a playhouse called Stage West in West Springfield, Massachusetts. It was on the the campus of the Big E, if anybody knows uh, the Eastern States Exposition. Okay. It's, where, it's like the huge state fair, but for all of New England. So there was a theater there that I worked at um, when I was young, young, before high school. And... Um, it was great. You know, you get a week or two off of school for matinee performances and it would be all kinds of all kinds of fun. So I was involved at the theater there in high school. I also did a, a number of uh, plays there, but it was really um, nothing that I aspired to be or nothing that I wanted to do. I was mostly an athlete all during the high school and college years. My dream was really to work at Walt Disney World. That's all, right. all I wanted to do. And in fact, when I was at UMass, I was a major in business, but I created my own minor, which was um, commercial park management, which was specifically for um, working at Disney when I got out. That's all so I wanted to do. still have that at UMass? No, I had to. I created it out of a number. There was a department of leisure studies. There was a business management stuff. So I created this minor and had to petition the school to have them recognize it, which is something that the school did at that time. I, I assume that a number of schools still do that kind of thing. Yeah. And now they're charging for it. They probably are. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. probably a track yeah. that I put together. Yeah. Well, that's great, though, because you did spend a, uh, a dozen years or so at Disney when you, I did. you left, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was my dream job. I came down here. I started on something called the Career Start Program. And um, I loved, loved, loved my Disney experience. Um, all of those years that I was there um, working especially when I got to, uh, I worked in guest relations for a number of years. I, I was the guy who wrote the uh, Magic Kingdom tours, Keys to the Kingdom tour, Disney's Family Magic tour, which sadly now have been suspended because of COVID. Right. But um, they've been going on three times a day for the past 30 years, you know? Um, so I, I worked in guest relations there. I opened Disney's Wide World of Sports. So um, I managed that facility for okay. some time. And then I was on the Disney's Animal Kingdom team um, when that came online. And I was I ran the front part of the park from all the guest relations operations, all of the ticketing operations, the parking, the attractions up to the first half of the park. It's quite an experience working over there from the people that I've known that have, that have worked at Disney. They you know, have enjoyed it because it's just ever changing. Right? It's a world-class organization. It, yeah. I mean, number one, because the product is creating happiness, that's what Disney does. So the people who are attracted to that are generally pretty happy people. So yeah. the thousands of people that you are around are become your lifelong friends. You're like-minded. You're all working for a common purpose. Um, it's really a place where you don't get many jerks. And if you do, they're weeded out pretty quickly. And um, to this day, I mean, even during the whole COVID times when we had been on lockdown, we would have Zoom meetings where there would be 150 people on there just as part of our guest relations teams. We have reunions every two years. There's, um, It's still an incredibly important part of our life. The woman I married two years ago worked with me in guest relations um, in 1997. 
the person who uh, the person who married us worked with us there as well. I mean, it's still such a tight group. It's a, it's a tight family. It yeah. really is. It really is. And my, my daughter-in-law worked at Disney, and she still goes over for I guess like reunions for cast members. Yeah, they they still have uh, uh, annual re- like you know reunions for the cast members. It's pretty pretty incredible. Right? I had a friend of mine that worked at the uh, Wide World of Sports, I guess in the, the part the sports part of it, and he used to sign off. He'd be on the phone with him. He'd sign off. I go have a magical day. Sure. And I'd be like, yeah, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't work for Disney. I worked for another organization. <laughs> I wasn't quite so happy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we all loved coming in and doing our jobs and we loved being there. We loved being around each other. And it's a great way to start your career, you know, because it really does give you a sense of purpose and you, it makes you understand. I think later in life, I'm so glad I had that experience because it really does focus you on the things that are important. And you never really think, oh, this is my stupid job that I just have to grind through. You know, you're excited to be there. And that makes all the difference in no matter what it is that you choose to do after that. Right. And, and so when you left there, you, you how'd you get your technical background? Do you get some technical, is it, was that well, from Disney or not, you just kind of built that on your own? Not really. Um, I, my last job at Disney was working for an organization called Destination Disney. Destination Disney was kind of the forecasting model of the, that, that arm that kind of forecasted what was going to happen. So I got into that because there was one time I was in a budget presentation while I worked at the Animal Kingdom. And some of I was asked questions that I really couldn't defend. And I was embarrassed by that. So I decided just to learn everything that I possibly could about how these operations work. So I went out and I would count cars at the auto plaza and see how long it would take for them to get in. I do it on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, you know, just learned every single thing about that. And then I would move in and I would time how long it took people to get through the turnstiles and how long the lines would build up and gradually worked my way through the park, learning all of these different things. And so I could build forecasting models, which came in handy during the peak season. So like as a parlor trick on a Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning, I could look at the auto plaza, count how many cars were out there, and I could kind of guess how long the line would be at Kilimanjaro Safaris at three o'clock in the afternoon because the, we I built in all these patterns. And I had some spreadsheets and all that to kind of go along with it. So um, my vice president at the time asked me to do some analysis on the high attendance days to determine when the park was going to reach capacity. And I could get it within 100, 150 people. So we would know how many cars we would have to turn around and all that kind of stuff. We just, I had the spreadsheet. We were able to run these forecasts and we were able to know. So I thought it was a cute little parlor trick, but it became kind of valuable in my career. And they pushed, put me over into a division of marketing called Destination Disney, which was kind of to take a look at the world and kind of do some forecasting that way. And we were the precursor of working on things like what became fast pass and magic your way and all these things that kind of have happened now because of the increased technology. So, um, so I kind of got involved in that forecasting model through Disney, through destination Disney. And there was, a guy I knew that was an inventor and he needed something like that to be able to, to be able to sell the product that he was coming up with. And the product he invented is product one called tire flies and two tire flies were valve caps for the wheels of your cars. And when the wheels started to turn, they would light up. So they would be the fast and the furious stuff. And we also invented the undercar lighting system, the first that were LEDs, so they would change color. So it wasn't all the neon stuff. So we've fitted the cars in the Fast and the Furious movies, and we did all that kind of stuff. And I was the marketing research director for that invention company. As a byproduct, I learned the process on how to design and manufacture products. And I had a bunch of ideas. So um, ultimately, he sold his company. And uh, I was working with a guy by the name of Mark McIntyre, brilliant artist. He was a Disney artist. He does. Uh, he was working in 3D, in 3D animation and all that kind of stuff before it was cool. <laughs> and um, 
so we kind of looked at each other and we're like, we have no allegiance to this new owner. You know, maybe we can do this kind of thing on our own. We have our own ideas. Right. You know, half of the ideas that we were doing for there, we had pitched anyway. So we went off and started our own product manufacturing and uh, invention company, which I did for another 10 years. And his critters was born. His critters. Yeah. His critters. <laughs> see how, see how I led into that? Yeah. Yeah, Hitch Critters was one of our first inventions. Is this the part where I describe what a hitch critter is? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. A hitch critter is a ball hitch cover for a truck. So it sits on your ball and it plugs into your trailer lights. So it has the same plug as you would plug into your trailer for your boat or your camper or whatever. But it looks like a fish or it looks like a deer or it looks like a pig on a motorcycle whatever you are kind of interested in it it looks like it looks like a thing and when you hit your brakes it lights up so it's an additional brake light but it also animates so the fish would flap its tail back and forth the deer would wave its arms and a target would light up on his chest so there were these funny ball hitch covers that came to life whenever you hit your brakes and, and you know I, I will tell you because we don't endorse products here but this is the funniest thing I have ever seen thanks have you watched the infomercial on I it? I did watch yes. the yeah. <laughs> I did watch the infomercial it was absolutely spectacular by the way and I have a truck and I will be looking for his critter. <laughs> I, I sold that company, by the way. So I. Oh, no kidding. So if you buy a hitch critter, I don't get anything from it anymore. It oh. But they're still out there. Um, I, I sold that company in 2015. No, 2011. Okay. So, um, but I had to work for it for a bunch of years after that, which I recommend to anybody. If you start a company and you sell it, leave when you sell it. Don't work for that company. <laughs> Because it will suck your soul for a couple of years, but um, but yeah, Hitch Critters did great. We sold oh over half a million of those things. I mean, there was a window where between you know the 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 talking bass, on yeah, the, the, on the, the big mouth billy the, bass was a big inspiration. Yeah. For, they sold over a hundred million dollars worth of big mouth billy basses yeah. when yeah. they invented that, and that was a case study that I did to help. My very first customer for Hitch Critters was Walmart. Okay. Which is kind of unheard of. You yeah. Know, that, yeah. But um, so the Big Mouth Billy Bass case helped me sell that in. You know, I goes made, back to if you can get a percentage of that. I mean, right. you know, it's, hey, if we get 2%, well, that's, we've sold a couple of million product, we're, we're done. I, uh, um, I made the first Hitch Critter for $600 in my garage. I used... Um, there was a, I, I used a coat hanger as part of the mechanism inside to make it where I'm just out of found parts and stuff I had laying around and soldered together some motors and things. Um, and I took that particular one, as I said, my, my business partner, Mark was a brilliant artist. So he had the skin rendered up. We sent it out for a prototype to get a roto mold of the skin and he built a box all before to, your printers yeah. that could do all of that stuff. Right, right, right. Time, he so. made a box that, I mean, it looked like, this thing looked like a real product. There was only one in the world, you know, made in my garage yeah. and rendered up by Mark and painted all by Mark. So I took the, I got a meeting with Walmart because when I was working with the tire flies guys, I had met some of the buyers there and they actually asked me to do an analysis of one of their modulars and I helped him out with that. And so he, he, he at least owed me the meeting and we went in there and, um, we had this hitch critter, this one hitch critter, the only one in the world. And we hooked it up and we showed him how it works. He says, Oh, this is great. I'll buy 64,000 of them. <laughs> you're like, okay. You at I'm like, said, when, when would you like those delivered? He, <laughs> he said, uh, it was March. It, I went in there in March and he said he wanted them delivered by September. I said, no problem. And so I walked out and had a little panic attack. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you try to think of how much time you can spend in your garage. Yeah. I hopped on a plane and went and found factories the very next day. And, um, by hook or by crook, we got it done. Yeah. That's awesome. It was a great story. It's a great story. Yeah, it was lucky. It was lucky. And then they sold like crazy. They had, um, it was over a 90% sell through. It was one of the few times Walmart had a promotion where they didn't ask you for, uh, um, you know, they, they ask you to guarantee the product and you have to give them a rebate if it doesn't sell. And uh, 
we were fine. We were, we sailed right through. They ordered them again the next year. And then we expanded, you know, we had the fish and then we had the deer and then ultimately we went up to seven or eight different models. Yeah. You know, there were yeah. horses and I there were pigs the and there were mm-hmm. ducks and there were pig on a Harley. Yeah, there was, we did a, we did a cow for tractor supply company. We, we did a goose for Gander Mountain. You know, we made special ones for special retailers, but um, yeah, we rode that way for 10 years. So it was yeah. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yes. Well, it was a lot longer than I thought. I had forecasted it would have a life of maybe five years, you know, but, you know, the top, number one selling vehicle in all of America continues to be the Ford F-Series. The number yep. two selling automotive in uh, in the country is the Chevy Silverado Series. And then number three at the time was the Dodge Ram Series. And that oscillates back and forth. But there are more trucks on the road. There are 100 million trucks on the road out right. there and about 60% of them have a ball hitch and and people who buy trucks spend three times as much accessorizing trucks as people who buy cars do so the numbers kind of added up so it was with all of that information that we went to Walmart and and others and were able to sell this idea you know as the owner of an F-150 I can every one of those things he said <laughs> is absolutely <laughs> true because yeah. mine is an older model you know, I've had it for, I don't know, since 1998 and it's still running. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to dump some money in this truck. So I'm buying all the accessories. I'm buying and redoing my entire truck, you know, headliners and headlights and all kinds of stuff. You can spend a fortune, yeah. but a truck, a good truck is a good truck, right? Is so. Yeah. And we were in the Sky Mall magazine. That was the thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That made us famous. <laughs> yeah. And who hasn't gone through their Sky Mall? Yeah. Well, it's bankrupt now. Yeah. Sadly, <laughs> there's no such thing as Sky Mall anymore. But um, but back in the day when you were captive on a plane and you didn't have a phone and they didn't have uh, TVs in every seat, yeah, you know, all you had movies. was that Sky Mall magazine. And we were the number one selling item in Sky Mall of items under $50 or something like that. So you just flip through on your, on your flight to Detroit, going circling things for Christmas. Say, yeah, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that. Sky Mall was a thing oh, yeah. back then. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a fantastic story. So moving into, I'm sorry, Jack, go ahead. No, so, so, so you've got this business going on. How do we get in back into the theater? That's where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had kids. Okay. So I lived here in Auburndale at the time and I had my three kids. Um, my middle child, Morgan started volunteering a lot at the theater. Um, and during the Hitchcritter time, while I stay busy, it's not a proper job. You know, a lot of times I'm talking to factories, which is three in the morning, or I'm talking to buyers, which is first thing in the morning. So I'm completely making my own schedule. So whatever my kids were doing, I was involved in, you know, Tyler's playing football over here. I was at every practice. I was at every, you know, and uh, Morgan wanted to be at the theater. So I spent a lot of time with Morgan at the theater. And as I said, when I was a young kid, I was involved in theater. So I ended up auditioning for a play, Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat in 2009. Um, and this is still during the Hitchcritter years. And I was in a play. We did the play. It was fun. Then I was in a couple more. Um, and because I was running around doing all these crazy things and was in the community and had Hitchcritter money, they, uh, <laughs> the, they asked me to be on the board of directors for the theater. Um, so I served on the board of directors. And then, as I say, I sold my company. I worked for the other company. I knew I didn't want to stick with doing that. Um, and then Norman Small, who founded Theater Winter Haven, um, after 50 years mm-hmm. or 45, after 45 years, decided it was time for him to retire. So we went on a search and we um, we looked at a lot of folks and we brought some of them in for interviews. We even offered the position to one of the guys. But, you know, his salary re- salary requests were beyond what we were due. And ultimately, I just said, you know, I'm not I'll throw my name in the ring. I'm not doing anything right now. I've sold my company and I'm not going to work for it after my contract is up. So ultimately, um, and then I had a series of interviews and the board opted to, to take me on. So that's how I got there. I, I, I'm there because I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, I love what it did for my kids. 
when they were growing up there, it was a safe environment. They were surrounded by wonderful people who were their role models. Something I think we still provide. The people who gravitate to that theater are second to none. They are honorable. They are decent. They are kind. They are warm. They are accepting. It's a great little island in uh, in a sometimes cruel world. So um, I love what it did for my kids. I love what it did for me. Um, and I wanted to protect the things that Norman had built over those 45 years. So that's kind of how I ended up at Theater Winter Haven. Yeah, you, you got into it on your and your TED talk for for Lakeland right, right. Uh, on how, you know, the theater is is, you know, we're 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 all did sports and and that's a certain kind of individual and and but the theater is far more welcoming to a wide variety of, of yeah, the, types. You know, the great thing about theater is the weirder you are and I mean that as a compliment. Like the the weirder you are, the more you are bringing to the table. You know, nobody ever got the lead role by fitting in. The so people who have bizarre quirks or are a little weird for lack of a better word are honored in that environment where they may be bullied for it in their school or they may be you know looked at side-eyed um in society we love that we love it when there's a point of view that's a little bit different um so it is a safe place and it is a place where i know that is saved the lives of a lot of people who are struggling elsewhere and if I can help be a part of that, I want to be a part of that for our community. Uh, you know, I love I love this place. I love Auburndale. I love Winter Haven. I love this community. And I think we can serve a purpose that no other organization can. Well, and I was going to say, and as an adult now that I am, um, you know, theater has been a refuge for, for kids. And I, and I appreciate the fact that I've, because not every kid's an athlete, right? And I, I right. just happen to grow up an athlete. But being, being in performances myself and done things, you, you see a different side. And I think it's fantastic that they have that available for kids to be a part of it. And, and you know, what is it? They, they, as you said, the weirdness. But, yeah. but it really, we, we celebrate these people when they become movie stars. Right. And you, you don't think about them being... That the kid, kid in the theater. The kid in right. the theater years ago. Right? Well, and they, I mean, there's been a number of people who've come through our theater who are famous now. Karen Olivo right now is, uh, she's nominated for a Tony for the work she did in Moulin Rouge this past year up on Broadway. She came through our theater. Wayne Brady came through our theater. I mean, it's, uh, it's not uncommon for... I mean, it happens several times a year where someone gets a break. Sometimes it's a huge break. Sure. Spencer Croy just got his first um, his first Broadway job this past year. He hasn't even made his debut yet because he no longer got started. Then COVID uh. shut everything down. But he got cast in the Harry Potter show up on Broadway. Um, but I don't know that a theme park in this area or a cruise line that could... Well, they probably could survive, but they would have a harder time without Theater Winter Haven because we are the we are the breeding ground for the talent that they that they get. Um, and those people go on to great notoriety sometimes. Well, you know, and, and for anyone who's listening to our podcast, I would encourage them because the local theater is fantastic. I've, I've gone to a number of productions over and I live in St. Pete and uh, been to some productions over in the St. Pete, Clearwater area um, that just local theaters, just just people, you know, my friends, uh, John Timberlake um, has, has done a number of productions over in, in, uh, in the Pinellas County area. And, and it is fun. It is fun to go watch. Yeah, like I'm sometimes asked, would you want to, like if you were offered a producing director job at a professional theater somewhere, as opposed to our uh, community theater, mm -hmm. would you jump at it? And I have no interest in any of that. You know, the the beauty of what we do here is that people are coming in because, not because they're of their 
not because of a paycheck, not because of it's a stepping stone to something. They're coming out there because it's pure passion. And we put every dollar on, back onto that stage. We're a nonprofit organization. Nobody's lining their pockets. We can, we're allowed to spend more money on sets and costumes and lighting and all of the various things that make that show great because of the way um, the economics of a community theater built versus the economics of a professional theater. So I would argue, and I do argue that most of the shows that we would put on are better quality than a show that, that a traveling show that you can see that's going from place to place. Cause they're dumbing down their set so they can fit it into a truck and they can move it to the next place and set it up in 12 hours. We're not doing that. Um, we're, we're making sure that we put the best on that stage every single time we go out there and then we're running it for four or five weeks. Um, I'm proud. I'm so proud of the work that we do. Um, and I go to Broadway a lot mm-hmm. and I love it. Of course, the talent is ridiculous. It's the sets are ridiculous. Everything's, everything's amazing, it's crazy. but yeah. there is a different level of passion from someone who's doing it eight days a week and it's your job than someone who clawed and fought to do it on their spare time after working a 40 hour week. They, the, you know that if someone's in a play here, they're doing it because they absolutely love it and are willing to give up so many other parts of their lives just to be part of that organization, which is a feeling that I love. And, you know, we talked we talked earlier about how people who come to the theater, it's a safe place. And it's, but it's not just for actors and actresses too. That's what I want. They're the majority of people who work at that theater on a volunteer basis are not on stage. You know, they're the people who build the sets and the people who sew the costumes and the people backstage who are dressing um, the actors and actresses when they go out or the running crew or the people up in the catwalk above you in the spotlights or running the lights from the back or running the sound. Um, It doesn't you don't have to have a performance um, attitude to be to thrive in that environment. We literally have a job for you. It doesn't matter where your skill set is. We have a job for you where you will be loved for what it is that you are doing. You will be embraced and you will be part of a family almost instantly. And um, that I think is the magic of that place. Do you guys have um, a relationship with the local high schools and you're bringing kids in and learning set production and lighting, sound, any of that ever take place? We do work closely with the school system. Uh, Beth Cummings is the head of the arts departments throughout Polk County school system. And she even sits on our board. So we are linked up and we go into the schools quite often. We have a program that we call Drama Time Live, which we uh, worked with we worked with the school system so it highlights the curriculum of what fourth graders are learning in their reading programs and we go in there and we do performances that link up with what they're studying anyway so that's just one example there are all we have our theater winter haven academy which does which produces broadway style shows but featuring young young people and that process is much like our main stage season. Um, and we've just started a new program that we call our Ovation Institute. Have you heard of this? No. no. Okay. This, um, the Ovation Institute, you know, community theater is one word. Community is part of everything that we do. So as the pandemic started to increase and we realized that for a lot of parents out there, they were going to have to make a difficult choice about whether they send their kids to a brick and mortar school, which is difficult during this circumstance and untenable really for some who may have people in their household that are of high risk or keeping them home for the e-learning program, which again, for a number of parents is impossible, especially if they're working from home too, or they aren't working from home and they need some. So it seemed like there were a lot of bad choices that didn't necessarily fit for everyone. So we created what we call the Ovation Institute. The Ovation Institute is essentially a study group where um, we've created a socially distanced and sanitary space. We spray it every day with the with the disinfectant that you guys so generously donated to us. Thank you so much. Um, so it has the same level of sanitation as a hospital would. Yep. Um, 
Or the NFL. Have you seen their commercials? Every time they see their commercials, we use the same sprayer. (laughs) So that's what we're using as well. Um, We've built barriers. We have uh, have four pods that can accommodate up to 10 students. They, throughout the day, they go through their e-learning or their Florida virtual or their Polk virtual, whatever, whatever platform platform that they have chosen. and we have hired a, uh, a certified teacher to be there to help with all that stuff. We've upgraded the internet so we can do uploading and downloading, all that kind of good stuff. And then we, as part of that institute experience, not only do they have their learning, but they also break out into dance programs, voice programs, acting programs. So they get a, it's it's like a virtual school fame, you know, yeah. remember that old yeah. show fame? So they're getting a performing arts education along with their virtual learning and they're supervised. They're safe. It's clean. And we give parents in a, a, a third way yeah. to try and yeah. do something. And, and that's just, you know, in, in the mother of necessity. I mean, you, you, you just, you know, was this something that had been thought of or, or, well, we've always wanted to enhance our programs to enhance our ability to 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 do programs such as that. And we always are looking for links to use the theater environment to link up with the school system. OK, so okay. I don't want to say that it's a completely unique idea, but it, yes, it's a mother of necessity in that we created this space that is safe and clean and with an eye toward COVID. I mean, everybody gets temperature checked in their car before they get into the building. So if anybody's running a fever, they never get close. We make sure that everybody's wearing the mat, the whole thing. And we built it from the ground up. So unlike trying, uh, unlike areas where they're trying to take an existing environment and make it COVID safe, we were able to build it. So it is as safe as we can possibly. And they still get some interaction with other kids, which is actually something that's lacking from a lot of the e-learning, the, the, you know, the flip side. Yeah. We're incredibly proud of it. And, you know, because of COVID, we've had to shut down a lot of our operations in the theater itself. So to be able to transfer the skill sets of our set builders and our technicians and all that kind of stuff to really serving the community in this way has been rewarding, um, not financially rewarding, yeah. but it's been rewarding to be able to serve the community in that way. So you've you've kind of opened the door to, to why I thought you'd be a perfect fit for this is because unlike I, I think completely unique to, to everyone has been how you folks have adjusted to our, our post COVID or current COVID world. So tell us about the, the, uh, things going on at the ballpark. <laughs> you may have to edit here for a while while I curl up into a fetal position. And yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, everywhere. I mean, this was a curveball for whether it was, you know, the Tigers or the, I mean, everyone has had to. Right. You, you guys sort of took this and that have turned it into a whole different opportunity right, to, to the public that, you know. Yeah. So we're doing stuff is. You're doing stuff. We're doing That's stuff. That's a great way to put it. So, which is. Like thanks for tuning in, folks. They're doing <laughs> stuff. And uh, we'll. No. Yeah. Which is a Herculean effort. And really, we owe a huge debt of thanks to um, this organization and also to the city of Winter Haven. Um Knowing that it was completely unsafe to do things inside, um, you know, Broadway's still shut down, I think, until March, I think, something. Yeah, they keep kicking the can, but um, there's just some things we can't do. But we knew we are early on that doing things outside really mitigated the mitigated the exposure and the risk. So we worked with the city of Winter Haven, who has allowed us to use the the baseball stadium, the Chain of Lakes Baseball Stadium, to provide entertainment for the people of this community. So we have a stage that is set up on center field. And um, we have what we're calling our socially distanced concert series, which are happening every Friday. And now we've added a Sundays, which we're calling our sunset series. So every Friday at seven o'clock and every Sunday at four o'clock, we are doing a concert out there in the baseball field. Now the process again is 
yeah, we're temperature checking everybody as they walk up to the gate. We ask that people wear their masks as they come through the entry process, um, just to make sure that that's the one po- point of where there's any contact at all. But once you get out on the field, there's 116,000 square feet of baseball <laughs> field out there. Spread out, put out, spread out your blanket or bring your lawn chairs, bring a cooler, you know, set up a picnic and we will give you entertainment. Um, and we've had a, a number of great concerts. Motown, they're usually tribute concerts. Mm-hmm. We did. Uh, we did a Motown concert. We did a, uh, uh, what's her name? I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Carol King. We did Carol Carol King. King. We did Carol King last week. We did a tribute to Andrew Lloyd Webber on Sunday. Um, tomorrow we were scheduled. This is a good COVID story. I guess we were scheduled to do a tribute to our show, the million dollar quartet, which features Carl Perkins, Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis and Johnny Cash. Um, I learned yesterday, late yesterday, that the our guy who does Jerry Lee Lewis had been exposed to COVID. He got a test today. He's negative, but it's been so soon that we still are not comfortable putting him on stage with other performers. So we have, this is what I did this morning before I came here. We not going to do that show. We're going to replace it with a different show and push this one down the road. So that's the second time this has happened where we've had to, um, someone has been exposed and we've had to quickly get a different group up there uh, to take their place. But um, we are doing stuff, which, uh, which makes me happy. We're getting up to 300 folks that are coming out pretty regularly. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. To see these concerts and it's completely. I, I, I can't say, I guess you can't say anything's completely safe, but it's as safe as it possibly can be. You never have to interact with another human. If you don't want to out there, you can take up as much space as you want. The talent is amazing. I've been able to get, um, I've been able to get acts to come here who haven't been performing for eight months. I mean, the, the performers are anxious to get out there yeah, they, as they're, well. They're, so it's not like I'm competing with a million other venues for their attention. We're getting some amazing top shelf acts to come out. And um, I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud that we're able to do something. And I'm even more proud that the city has said that this is something that is important for our community and that they've supported it to the degree that they have. Um, Well, when we finally write this history of COVID and you start talking about COVID wins, this is uh, this This is is an example of adaptability and and how good things can come from a really bad situation. Right. And it's also cheap. You know, we're making it really. And it's cheap. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Because family friendly. You know, we're not the, we're not making any money off these things. We're a true nonprofit organization. You know, everything that we make, we put back out there into the community. Now, this time has been a real struggle for us. You know, we have been used to 5000 subscribers to our theater that this year that dropped to 1700. Oh, wow. So we can't yeah. even make payroll. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, we're in a position where uh, luckily we have been working on that black box. You know, we've been working on some expansion. We shifted some of that money to be able to pay and hopefully we can bridge the gap and make it through. But um, when we talk about things like the Ovation Institute or we talk about things like the stadium concerts, really we're hoping that they just pay for themselves. You know, there's nothing we want to make sure that the things that we focus on for our community, we really focus on for our community. And we have always said that we don't want people not to come to our programs because of money. You know, we want them to be able to afford the programs we do. So the, the stadium concerts are 18 bucks a piece and you can get three for 40 bucks. Yeah. You know, that's a pretty good deal, you know? So, uh, I do want people to understand that when we talk about theater, winter Haven and community theaters in general across the country, no one's making any money. You know, it's really a community service that we do to improve the, the quality of living in our communities. And, um, Thankfully, we have a great city that supports us. You know, we're in a city building, so that is incredibly helpful. They allow us to use that baseball field out there 
which is incredibly helpful. The stage that we are on belongs to the city at the moment. So we're incredibly happy about that. They got to clear us off for a bit because they have to top seed for Russ Matt. Russ Matt, right. yep. Yeah, Russ Matt coming up. So there will be actual baseball out there for a bit. And um, we have to make room for that. But I mean, I think the people of our community are thrilled that that stadium is being used. Um, I mean, it's such a great asset that so few get to enjoy um, throughout the course of the year, except for that Russ Matt season. And now we have people in there every week, hundreds of people in yeah. there every single yeah. week. So uh, I know that I know that they're thrilled by it. And see, that's that's a great use of a city asset, too. Right. You, the expandability of doing that stuff and and having something that you wouldn't expect to find. In, well, unless it's uh, Yankee Stadium when they do concerts out there, but you're paying what, 500 bucks yeah. to go see somebody play. So, yeah, you we, know, we don't do that. The same yeah. is true of our theater productions. You know, a ticket to our theater productions, just over twenty dollars. Whereas if you go see something at the Straz or at the at uh Bob Carr. What is it? Is it Bob Carr still? Yes. I think Dr. Is Phillips. It, is it Dr. Phillips? Dr. Phillips. Yeah. Um, then it's, you know, hundreds of dollars yeah. often. Um, we're really proud that we're able to do quality entertainment at a price that people in our community can afford. And you've reached out across the community. I'm thinking about the Sound of Unity event yeah. that you did. Oh, yeah. Um, so That's tell us about to us. You know, um, we want to be a spoke. We want to be a spoke in the wheel of anybody who's trying to do good in our community. So um, the Sound of Unity was um, after the death of George Floyd. We uh, hosted a concert in the stadium where all of the proceeds, all of the proceeds went to six local black charities. Um, And we did that with the help of Dr. Vincent Miller, who uh, coordinated the entertainment up there was a Motown tribute. and I was really proud of that event. And I'm proud also that Theater Winter Haven has been able to have a hand in a number of fundraisers during this time where we we don't keep a dime mm-hmm. of any of that money. We just hosted the lip sync battle okay. um, a couple weeks ago, which benefits the public education partnership and um, Cypress Junction Montessori schools. I think they raised nearly $40,000, if oh, not wow. over $40,000 on that night out there. That's in the, great. For, and for education, of course. Yeah, we're, we're happy to do that. And then two nights later, we hosted another charity event. Um, it was called God Bless America. And it, all the money, it was a patriotic concert and all the money benefited the Winter Haven Symphony Guild. So we're still in, um, even though times are tough for us and we're watching our reserves shrink and shrink and shrink. And I know that we're the only venue really in town that can help support these things for other for other organizations. And I think we've really come through on our charitable on our charitable contributions and making sure that other organizations can raise money in our community. Now, you're still acting as well right i think me yeah no somebody acting no i haven't done it i I I read somewhere that you played shrek i didn't play shrek i was in the play shrek you were in the play but that was before i got this job i was just okay because i was going to ask you to do your shrek voice for us no that's not me (laughs) (laughs) Um, i was in the i was in the play shrek i played i was like the executioner and i was papa bear um Thelonious, the executioner. Thelonious, yes, yes. Uh, I got to wear a bag on my head, which... (laughs) (laughs) That's my best look. Um, Costume design. Yeah, Yeah, whenever the costumer can put a bag on my head, she's happy. Um, But that was before I got this job. I don't think it would be appropriate for me to audition for anything while I'm... (laughs) That's... Yeah, that could be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't... That wasn't what fed me anyway. You know, I just liked being in the environment. I loved the, I love the people. I love the, I love that particular community. I love the diversity. I love the uh, diversity of thought and ethnic diversity. I love it all. And I like how everybody there gets along the way people should get along. (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be one thing that you wanted you're going, why didn't they ask me about this? Or, or 
I don't know if it's a, if I wanted to be asked about this, but I do want to say how lucky I don't know if people understand how lucky they are to be in a community like this one. There are so many people out there that are working so hard day in, day out to make this a better place to live. And, um, you know, sometimes you hear a lot of jokes, Polk County, this Polk County. I, I can't imagine a place where there are people who are rolling up their sleeves and really getting into the mud to make this place better. You know, I, our city commission in Winter Haven is astounding. Our city leaders, incredible. And it's not it's not out of ego. It's not out of an aspiration to be something more it's because they care about this place the same is true here in auburndale mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. mayor tim i love him he's yeah. the yeah he's, he, is there a better guy in the on the planet who will work harder no is the answer i mean i the more i get involved in the community the more i understand how wonderful this is how amazing of a place this is to live and work and play so I'm just full of gratitude every day for the people that I rub elbows with and how hard they work to make things better. So awesome. You are a happy guy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You should have seen me this morning when I got all those COVID texts. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a smile on your face. I'm like, I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> the world we, get, we get we we get we've got post uh he's he's working his angst out right here yeah. so yeah this has been a fantastic uh, segment of the poke experience um we appreciate you guys tuning in and please support local artists and theaters and we appreciate you being here thank uh, you so Dan much Chester. website website theater where can people find you t-h-e-a-t-r-e because we have to spell it that way. Theaterwinterhaven.com. Or you can get us on the Facebook page. That's probably easier. Just look up Theater Winter Haven. You'll see everything that's going on. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for being here. This is another episode, episode two yeah. of the Poker <laughs> Experience. No, it's more than that. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having Thank me. you for coming on. All right. Bye.